The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. So good morning again. My name's Trevor. I'm also part of the church staff, and we're going to dive right in this morning. We're just going to go for it because it's warm, right? We're going to push through this. So we're in our, our series called Rooted, and we're looking at what it means to be rooted in the gospel, rooted into the goodness of Christ and what Christ has accomplished for us, and how to live in that grace through faith. So this morning, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. If you want to turn there now, you can. But I'll be kind of jumping around a little bit through scripture. Uh, this, this series has been challenging a little bit for me in preparing a talk, because usually I like to tell jokes and funny stories and anecdotes and all these things. And I usually pick just one verse to focus on, and we still have that main teaching text today, but I really think that we're going into some deep waters of theology, and so it's important for me to support Scripture with Scripture and bring that into context to you this morning. So all those other verses will be on the screen before you, but we're going to be focusing on Galatians chapter 3. And so I want you to think about this. I want you to think about how you became a Christian. If you're a Christian here this morning, I want you to think about what it is that you would point to as that moment, that defining moment that you would say, this is how, this is why, this is when I became a Christian. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, as Andrew said, maybe you're exploring faith with us. Hopefully you weren't dragged here against your willpower, like someone didn't force you into their car, and if that's the case, I'm sorry for being here. But if, if you're here seeking out, exploring faith, this is a great talk for you this morning, because you'll be able to see what it means to become a Christian, what it means to grow and live as a Christian. So again, if you are a Christian, what is it that you would point to and you would say, this is how I became a Christian. Because a lot of us, I believe a lot of us would say something like, oh, you know, I decided to follow Jesus, right? Or, or I asked Jesus into my heart, or I walked down an aisle, or I said a prayer at this specific moment. And yes, maybe it's a little bit of a, a trick question, but but we would see, see in the Bible, that the, the clear, clearly the Bible says that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone. We've been talking about this in the series. It, it, it means that the, the initiator, the one who started your salvation, is the same one that will bring it all the way into completion, of course, and that is, that is God. God is the initiator. God initiated and we responded to his grace. In fact, Jonah says it very plainly in the book of Jonah that salvation, he says, belongs to the Lord. It's by his grace. God is the one who brings us to himself through revealing it through scripture, and we respond. God says, I, I want to save Trevor, and Trevor's going to respond to my grace as it's presented to him. And in fact, that's the same exact language that Jesus uses when we look through the Gospels. We'll, we'll pull one up, John chapter 6. Jesus says this twice, in fact, to make sure that the people of the time don't miss it, and we don't miss it today. He's speaking to the Pharisees in John 6, verse 44, and he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
And John 6, later on, verse 65, And this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. There's no exceptions. There's no two different ways, two different paths. There's not one way for Jews, one way for Gentiles. There's not one way for men, one way for women. There's not one way for Seahawks fans, one way for losers, right? There's one path to go by. Everyone who comes to Jesus gets there because God powerfully drew them, drew us unto himself. So, so what is this drawing, right? What is this drawing? What is this, this granting? Well, we would call that grace. It had absolutely nothing to do with you and I. God didn't look down and say, you know, Trevor is an awesome guy. I'm not. God didn't look down and say, Trevor really has his stuff together. I'm going to save him. I don't, right? I, I didn't at that point in my life. He did it because of his grace. He went after me, and he went after you, and he's seeking after you. So he, he opened up our eyes, and he opened up your eyes, and he helped us see and realize the truth, and we responded to that truth through faith. The Bible says this is what saves you. A very famously quoted scripture is in Romans 10, and this is Paul writing again. He said, is, is if you confess with your mouth, right? And not just you form the words. If you confess with your mouth out of a believing heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God raised him from the dead, then we are saved, right? And if, if you think that sounds simple, I mean, anyone could say, Jesus Christ, Son of the Lord, God saved him, we're saved, blah, 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 right? But Paul's not saying here, it's just the ability to form your words in such a way that you can make those noises from your face, right? It's not about that. It's coming out of a believing heart. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from his spirit, which we'll get to in a little bit later. But isn't that amazing? I mean, he's talking about the ability to proclaim Jesus as Lord in our life to the fact where I'm willing to stake my life on it, I'm willing to live for it, I'm willing to die for it. That's the faith that we're talking about today. That's how we became a Christian, right? Those of you who are Christians. So what happened is, in that moment, you believed in Jesus Christ crucified. You put your faith in him. You put your hope in him. In fact, you understood that there was nothing that you could do to add to what Jesus had already accomplished through his death and resurrection. Christ had accomplished everything. There's nothing more that needed to be done. And when we believed on that, and Paul has been saying this throughout Galatians, when we believed on that, he's going to say it every way that he knows how. When you believe in the simplicity of that, then you are saved. You're what Paul calls as justified. Justified is a Christian word. Justified means you were made right in God's eyes, that you could stand in Christ's righteousness because of what he did. It means a judge in a courtroom, that judge being God, he could slam down the gavel and you would be considered innocent of your guilt and your shame and your sin. And the reason you could be considered innocent 
is not because of what you've done. You've done. The reason that you can be considered innocent is because of the work of Christ. It's not because you obeyed perfectly. It's not because of your church attendance. It's not because you're a tither. It's because of the work of Jesus Christ. He says, I look at this and I see, I don't see you, I don't see your works. I see what Jesus has done in your life. Well, let's say it this way. What you did really is you stopped trying to earn your way to heaven on your own. You, you stopped thinking somehow my efforts are going to get me there. You believed what was revealed to you through scripture and you responded through faith. Amen, let's pray. I'm kidding, but that would be a good break point, right? You, you guys are like, seriously, that would be a great, good break point. <laughs> so we're going to build, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to build on that this morning. Is that it, right? So I, I become a Christian, now what, right? Now what? Now what do I do? And the reason I ask is because a lot of times, I mean, we've, we preach and you've heard about being justified through grace, through faith in Christ alone, that we need that for being saved, and then... Somehow we think that we need to build off from that and we go a different direction. Like, right, I, I, I get that. I get that's how I'm saved. But surely you move on from that to something bigger. You move on from the gospel. You kind of graduate to these bigger truths, something now that I have to do, right? Now, now I take it into my own hands and I continue to grow in the Christian life by doing these good things. But is that the way? Is it? I mean, I hear some of you thinking, well, well, surely, Trevor, I mean, surely obedience, right? Surely God desires obedience from us. And absolutely, he does. Absolutely. Jesus says very plainly in Matthew chapter 28, toward the end, he's talking about going out into all the nations, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. How? By baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, right? We're to obey every command that Jesus has given us. So how do these two things work? How do we wrestle what feels like this tension, right? How do we wrestle with these two things? And so that's the question that I want us to answer this morning. If I'm saved by grace, then do I grow by works? And this is what Paul is going to confront here in Galatians chapter 3. And so if you hear nothing else today, if you're if you zone out, or you pass out because of the heat, if you hear nothing else today, the thing that I want you to think on and meditate on and keep at the forefront of your mind for the rest of your life, I know I'm asking a lot, is this, that you are saved by the gospel and you grow by the gospel. You're saved by the gospel and you grow by the gospel. You are not only justified, meaning considered righteous before God through the gospel, but you're also sanctified through the gospel. Sanctified, another Christian word that means you, you grow in holiness. You become more holy. You become more like Jesus. That's sanctification. If I, can, if I could break down the entire sermon from this point forward, that's what we're going to focus on right there. This is how you grow. We never, 
outgrow the gospel ever. You never get to some graduate level. You never move on from it. The way that you start in the Christian life is the same way that you progress in the Christian life. Some of you may have heard of the leadership guru, Marshall Goldsmith. He's wrote a couple famous books. No, (laughs) or not, whatever. Uh, Probably his most famous book, and if you're a leader, maybe you've read this or Maybe you're becoming a leader and you want to read this book, but he has this famous book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Anyone? No one? Nobody? Somebody. Come on. What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And that is awesome advice for a leader, but that is absolutely terrible advice for a Christian because, in fact, what got you here will get you there. Will get you there. And that's what I want us to see today. I want you to see how how Paul's going to say this over and over. In fact, he's going to say, if you believe that there is another way for growth, if you believe that there's something else, if you believe that it's on you, he's basically going to say, you're crazy. Like, literally something is going wrong with the progression of the way that you think. I mean, this isn't just one of those issues that we can agree to disagree on. You've, You've gone off into some other land and you're, you're at risk of possibly going over to the edge, a place that you don't want to be. So you need to turn around and train the way that you think. So let's look what he says. Here, we're going to get into Galatians 3 now. But actually, we're going to bump back just one verse. So we're going to end Galatians 2 and look at Galatians 2, verse 21, because this is all tied together. This is a continuation we'll see into Galatians chapter 3. And Paul writes this. Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now just stop and think for a second. If we're ever living in such a manner that says Christ died for no purpose, we are outside of the gospel. We are outside of the grace of God. We are outside of what it is to be a Christian. I mean, do you think Paul ever wanted to go around preaching and proclaiming, I proclaim to you that Christ died for no purpose? No, of course not. Everything about Paul, everything about Paul's ministry always pointed back to the crucifixion and what was accomplished through Jesus Christ. So now let's jump into chapter three, verse one. O foolish Galatians, Who has bewitched you? Now, just a heads up or maybe a reminder, Paul, in fact, did not put those little chapter and verse markings in your Bible. Those were added much later, just as a point of reference, so we could say, look up 3 verse 1, right? Paul was just writing this as a letter. So this is a continuation of what we just read at the end of chapter 2. So right on the heels of saying Christ died for no purpose, he's basically turning around and saying, You foolish Galatians, the way that you're living, what you're believing, you're acting in such a manner that Christ died for no purpose. Because you believe that you can earn your salvation on your own through your works. You believe that you could work your way up to God. And this is basically a rebuke that says, if you were a fool in such a manner, you are outside the gospel. You are not a Christian, if you give in to such foolishness. 
So he asks this question, who has bewitched you? And bewitched is kind of an interesting word. I mean, it holds some weight. I mean, this isn't bewitched like a 60s TV show, right? This is bewitched like you have been put under a spell. Something diabolical is going on underneath the surface. You have been greatly disillusioned. And let me make sure you understand what I mean by that. I mean, there's a lot of things that Christians, good Christians, mature Christians that read their Bibles every day can disagree about. I mean, we can disagree about all sorts of things. We could disagree about some people believe that the charismatic spiritual gifts that are presented in Scripture in the New Testament are alive and active and are to be used in the church today. I, for one, am someone that believes that way. Other people do not believe that way. This is an area that we can disagree on. If you think of it this way, think of it like a target, right? So you have the bullseye dead in the middle, and then you have these outer rings going out away from the target. Those gifts, the view of those gifts, that's maybe an outer ring, a middle to outer ring thing that we can disagree over. Maybe another one would be we could disagree on the way that a church should be organized, okay? Church government ought to look like. That's an outer ring thing. We could say, I believe this, and I get that from this scripture. I could say, I believe this, I get that from this scripture. It's an outer ring thing. But there are doctrines that are bullseye doctrines that we dare not disagree on. In fact, this is the difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian, and this is one of those. Justification, being declared right by God, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's a non-negotiable. That's a bullseye doctrine. That's something that if you depart from, Paul would say, you are bewitched. And there's something satanic going on underneath it all. And here's why. Here's why. If, if Satan can get you to that point where you just flat out reject God and you say, I don't believe Jesus was who he said he was. I don't believe Jesus did what he said he did. Satan like, Satan's like, okay, that's fine. If I could keep you there, that would be great. I want to keep you there. But if I can get you to that place where you believe in Jesus, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get inside that bullseye doctrine, and I'm going to meddle around, and I'm going to make you think that, sure, you need Jesus, but it's also these other things. It's Jesus plus my good behavior. It's Jesus plus my good works. It's Jesus plus me, Satan wins. Because what he's done then is he's taken away the glory from God, the glory of what was accomplished on the cross, and he's deflected it to make you think it's about you. You're now taking that glory for yourself. And Satan would love nothing more than that. That's why Paul says here that you are bewitched. You're not seeing the things the way that you're supposed to be seeing them. And so Paul says, this is what I want you to understand about being a Christian. That in fact, what got you here will get you there. And I want you to see how Paul does this throughout the early verses of Galatians 3. 
Because he's going to go back with the first four verses, really, and look back and say, this is what got you here. This is what got you here. And then in verse 5, he'll change the verb tense and say, and this is what will get you there. So let's continue on. Verse 1, second half. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So Paul says, you, you want to know what I preach to you? I didn't come preaching, here's what you need to do. I didn't pr- come to preach, I want to address your behavior primarily. I came here and preached to you to show you what had already been done for you. And I publicly portrayed it. And that word portrayed is such a vivid word. It means to like formally display. I built a billboard in front of you to display. I painted this picture in your minds. He's saying, I wanted you so vividly to see Christ, but not just Christ. I wanted you to vividly see Christ crucified. And that is the gospel that I preach to you. And I did it in such a way that I unpacked all of the ramifications, all the implications on what this meant for your life, what this meant for your sin, what this meant for your salvation, and what this meant for your growth. He would say, you can't say, Galatians, that you did not hear me preach Christ crucified. I did it. So what happened to you? And then he basically tells them, and he tells us today, you heard, heard me preach, you've heard the gospel, so... Verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? Paul would say, no one can say I preached you have to do these things in a certain way. You have to be good enough. You have to earn your way into heaven. You didn't hear me say that. So they've seen Jesus on the cross through Paul's public portrayal to them. And here's what happened as a result of that. And it happens in our lives when we respond in faith to what Christ has done in our life. The Spirit came to dwell within them. Just as the Spirit came and comes to dwell within us. This is important for us to understand, to see what happens. When you hear the message of Christ crucified and you believe it with faith, then what happens is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, comes and takes up residence within our lives. So if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God within you. I mean, we can point to Scripture. That's what the Bible says. I'll throw some verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Paul's talking to Christians here. So we we see there's no such thing as non-spirit-filled Christians. I remember growing up in the church and kind of hearing this code language going on. I didn't really understand it at the time, but I heard people say things like, that's a spirit-filled Christian, or that's a spirit-filled church. Maybe some of you understand the lingo. It's like, we've got spirit. Yes, we do. we got spirit. How about you? And I, I understood what it meant, but there's no such thing as a non-spirit-filled Christian. And to say it's, there is such a thing, it's, it's almost redundant, right? It's like saying, I own a canine dog because... 
I, I think I have it right, that all dogs are canine, right? You can fact check me on that. So there's no such thing as a non-spirit-filled Christian. The Bible's going to say, if you do not have the spirit, you're not a Christian. Romans 8, chapter 9, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So all Christians are spirit-filled. And I'm not saying there's not times in our life where we will pray for an overflowing of the Spirit in our lives. I mean, I, I do that often. I do that before I come up and preach and say, God, be so real and active in my life. Overflow in me and through me. I mean, I believe we should be praying that all the time for all areas of our life. We receive the Spirit at that point in our life. So Paul's saying to the Galatians that you received that. You heard this message. You responded to it by faith. And the Spirit of God came to dwell within you. So here now, here's what he's saying at this, at this point. And he's saying, going forward. Um, in other words, the way the Spirit entered your life is the way that the Spirit will advance in your life. Let's look again at verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And look at that carefully. I mean, what, what does Paul expect to hear back from the Galatian people? What does he expect their answer to be? Right? By hearing with faith, Paul. That's how we receive the Spirit. And he goes on, verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What answer does he expect to hear? No, I'm not being perfected by the flesh. The only way that I am being perfected is by the Spirit. I mean, do you see this? Paul's saying it's, it's the same thing. Let's say it this way. Do you become a Christian one way and grow in another way? Paul's answer, of course, is no. The good news saves you. The good news grows you. The Spirit of God came to dwell within you by faith. The Spirit of God will propel you in your walk in faith. It's the same thing. It's not, I started on this one track, but I need to switch lanes and get in this other track to keep going. It's the same track that you started on will take you all the way home. Look at verse 4. Paul says, did you suffer so many things in vain? I mean, he's starting to get pretty, pretty animated here. And I don't think it's necessarily anger on his part. I think what he's seeing in these Galatians people is really breaking his heart. I mean, these are people that he came and he served and he loved and he built up a church. Then he moved on on his missionary journeys and he hears all these things. I think it breaks his heart to see that they've fallen back into what they've fallen back into. Did you suffer so many things in vain? And the word in, in vain means for nothing, right? It was empty. Is there no purpose behind your suffering? And do you understand as Christians, I mean, we understand that all suffering is for a purpose. God has a purpose in each and every one of our sufferings. And Paul says this. He says, look, I know what happens. We talked about it when we kicked off the series kind of giving the background in the book of Galatians, that we could see in the book of Acts that Paul went into this area. Again, Galatia isn't a city, it's a region in modern-day southern Turkey. And Paul went to this area preaching Christ crucified, and no doubt he was getting persecuted. You could read about it in the book of Acts by proclaiming it was Jesus Christ 
and Jesus Christ alone. It wasn't the works. So he was beaten. He was thrown out of cities. I mean, all this stuff was happening to Paul because the Jewish people at the time hated that message. They hated the message of salvation through grace, through faith in Christ alone. And so these Galatians, they believed in that message. They responded to Paul's public portrayal. And you better believe that they were persecuted and suffered because of it. And you know how they could have stopped suffering? They didn't have to go through that suffering if they just would have gone with the culture, given into the culture and say, you're right, salvation is through my works. The way you get saved is you just keep earning and you do better and better and better and then at some point, hopefully, God would just say, okay, you've done the stuff, you're saved now. They could have been saved from suffering Paul says that suffering cannot have been in vain. No, there was a purpose behind it. God was doing something in you. But then look at verse 5, and this is the last verse we'll look at. Again, the the verb tense changes here. He stops looking into the past and confronts them right where they're at. He says in verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you Today, we can add that. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you today and work miracles among you today do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he says, okay, you believed this truth. You believed what Christ did on the cross. That was a past event. You believed on the past and that saved you. But he says to the Galatians, and this is what's so important to us today, that it's that same faith, that same event, all this stuff ripples throughout history, ripples throughout time into our present, and this is how you grow today. Look at it this way. I think what Paul is saying is, Galatians, to what do you attribute the miracles that are happening among you? And I think these are real miracles. I think they're seeing people healed. I think they're seeing people delivered from demonic possession. I think they're seeing blind eyes open and ears hearing. And certainly the miracle of salvation where God actually resurrects a human heart and gives new life through Christ. And Paul says, what do you attribute those miracles to? Let me paraphrase it this way. What motivates God to do miracles among you, Galatians? What's, what's the impulse behind God? Was it the works of the law? See, in other words, did you do enough good stuff that God just felt bound to do a miracle for you? Now, let's be honest, right? This is how we feel. This is how you and I feel. There's an impulse inside all of us that thinks, if I'm good enough, if I do enough good things, then God owes me. God owes me. We really believe that our good works will conjure up good things from God. And when bad things happen, we're devastated because we question God. We're like, God, I did all these great things for you. I so invested in my relationship with you. I did all these things to invest that the the time that I needed you the most, I was wanting to withdraw from my God account and get a miracle from you. I want to be able to rely on God when I need him the most. And Paul asked, why, why did these miracles take place? Why did these miracles happen? 
Did it, because, did it happen because you conjured up enough good works? Or did it come by hearing with faith? Where you would say, I believe God. I believe God can do this. And God says, I love that. I love that kind of faith. I love that kind of trust in me. I love the faith that, of those that still trust in me in suffering when I do not do a miracle. And you're still trusting in me and my goodness, my character. God says, that's the kind of faith I desire. Not because I think I've worked my way into this, but because we trust in him. Do you see this logic of what Paul's doing? Do you really think that what wasn't able to get you through the gate is the thing that's going to grow you in the Christian life? Paul says that's absurd. He says absurd. It's the same thing, the same method. The Christian life isn't graced before and works after. Okay, cool. So how does that work? How does that work in our real life? Because Trevor, you said... He said at the beginning that we are all supposed to be obedient, and you are. But you say it's all about hearing with faith and responding to the grace of God, and it is. So how do those two things collide? How do those two things come together in our life? How do we wrestle through the, dis the dissonance? So with the remaining time, you guys are doing great. With the remaining time, I want to get to some practical application. Because sometimes it could be an intellectual exchange. If it doesn't work its way into your life, then this is all for nothing, right? So let's try to put this into practice. So we recognize that we entered a relationship with God through the power of the Spirit, and now we live by the same Spirit. So the problem of the Galatians that we've identified, and the problem often with you and I is that we think God's grace was to save us, and our works are to grow us. So it's... It's what we're focusing on to grow us. John Piper, who's a pastor, he says this, the essential mark of a Christian is not how far you have progressed in sanctification, so it's becoming more like Jesus, not how far you've progressed, but on what you are relying on to get you there. So what are you relying on? What am I relying on? Are you relying on your own willpower, on your own works, or are you relying on the Spirit? Because a Christian life is, is about relying on the Spirit. Let me help you understand how this works. Let's take an area of disobedience in our lives, okay? Think about some area of your life where you would say, I'm having a hard time with blank, whatever that could be. It could be anger, it could be covening, it could be lust, it could be addiction, it could be all sorts of different things. It could be lying. I tend to be vulgar with my language around certain people. I hate this. I don't want this. I understand that this is an act of disobedience. Okay, you got that? So what do we do now? What do we do now? We have this thing. Well, let me ask you this question. What did you do to receive salvation? If I could frame it in such a way. What did you do to receive salvation? All you did was you were confronted with the grace and the truth of Scripture. You realized that you had rejected God in areas of your life. And so you repented of your sin and you placed your faith in Christ. Right? You believed in Christ. 
So what do you do when you face a sin in your life now? Well, you still repent. What does that mean? It means I turn to God and I say, God, let's use anger for an example. I turn to God and say, God, I'm dealing with anger. And when you, when you struggle with something, you feel powerless to it, don't, don't you? Like, it becomes something that's overwhelming in your life. So is it relying on the Spirit to say, God, I'm struggling with anger, so next time I'm angry, I'm just going to not be. I'm just going to stop because I'm so, so upset with anger. I'm so angry with anger that I'm just going to be done. I'm just choosing right now. I'm done with anger for the rest of my life as long as I live. Can we do that? No. Is it a matter of just telling yourself to man up and deal with it and be self-disciplined and stop being angry forever? No. What I do is I look at it. I look at the sin in my life and I recognize it and I say, I hate this. And I turn to God and I say, God, please forgive me. And then I see it again. I see the cross. I see Christ publicly portrayed before me. And I realize again that Christ died for that sin in my life. And so I say, God, please forgive me of this. And then do you know what I think about? I think about that Jesus took that sin and he nailed it on a cross and he went into a grave and three days later he rose again, justifying everything that he said as truth. And that same power, Paul tells us in Ephesians, that same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. And so it's now me looking at the sin and saying, I can't kill this on my own. I can't overcome it with my own willpower. So Spirit, help me. And do we pray this prayer just once and think we got it covered? No. You might pray that same prayer 50,000 times in your life. You might pray it over and over and over again, but here's what I promise. You keep going back. You keep going to God. Not just three times, four times, but up to 50,000 times. You keep going back over and over, moment by moment, day by day, pleading with Christ. And here's what I promise. Hear me. You may not be able to ever say in your life that that is totally gone. But what you will be able to say, and hear me, what you will be able to say is its grip on me has loosened and my reliance on the Spirit has strengthened. Amen. Let's phrase it one, one more way. I'm on my last couple pages. <laughs> it's double-spaced. Let's frame it this way. Kind of a three-step process that we can go through. Behind every sin is an idol, and I'm going to explain all these. Behind every sin is an idol. Behind every idol is a lie. And how do we deal with lies? We confront lies, we supplant lies, replace lies with the truth, right? We expose lies with the truth. But every sin is an idol, every idol is a lie, and the way that you deal with it is with the truth. That's the antidote. That's how we lean into God, lean into his truth, lean into his spirit. So let's take a very common issue this morning. We'll take the issue of envy, or coveting, right? What's coveting? Coveting is, I want what you have, but I can't have it. 
I want your car, I want your house, I want your stuff, because if I had that stuff, then I'd be happy. If I had your Facebook life, had your friends, could go on your vacations, then I'd be happy. If I could eat what you placed on your Instagram, then and only then would I be satisfied in this life. Right? This is what we do. We are covetous, envious people. You look at my life, I look at your life. Grass is always greener, or at least has less weeds in them. I want what I can't have. And so then my heart begins to get envious and covet. And we know from the Bible, we know from the 10th commandment that that's a sin, right? Everyone with me, we're clear? So that's a sin, and I want to be rid of that sin. So what's the idol? First of all, what is an idol? An idol is looking to anything but God for something to make us happy. It's looking at anything other than God to make you happy. So what are you doing when you covet? What am I doing when I covet? I'm looking at your Facebook life and saying, if I had these things, then I would be happy. What I'm saying is, that thing, that job, that car, if only, then I would be happy. And if I fill in anything after, if only, other than God, then I am coveting, right? I'm an, I'm an idolater. So welcome to Idolaters Anonymous, because we've all been there, right? So behind every idol is a lie, and so what is the lie being told to us when we covet? We're being told that this thing will make us happy. But you know, there's, there's a, a deeper lie here that we need to understand that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when the serpent appeared to Adam and Eve and said, did God surely say you cannot eat of that fruit? Because God knows if you eat that fruit, your eyes will be open to the knowledge of good and evil and you will know all these things, right? You'll know things that you don't know now. And so what was the serpent saying here? Basically, he's trying to convince Adam and Eve that God is withholding from you. That God is not a good God, God is not a gracious God, that you would be happier if you just did things your own way and did it yourself, not follow God's way. And that's a lie. That's a lie that we're being told every day, all the time. I promise you, just watch yourself. Every sin you and I commit is because we've given into and we believe a lie. We'll do it today. I get angry because I honestly think I would be happier if I was just allowed to express myself and my thoughts and my opinions the way that I want to, and so barf, it comes out, right? So if coveting is a sin, and there's this, the idol is thinking that this thing will make me happy, I'm lying about the truth, what is the truth? The Bible says that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing every word of God. So hear me on this. You will never be set free from idols in your life apart from scripture. You will never know the power of the spirit in your life apart from scripture. And so what do we do? We go to the word of God. We go to the truth. 
And this idol that's, that's pushing on my heart, pushing on my mind, pushing on my thoughts as I'm on Facebook or whatever, and I'm covening and envious and all these other things. I say, God, you're not fair. God, you're not good. God, you don't care about me. God, you love these people more than you love me. And so I go to the word of God, and I open up my scripture, and what do I read? I read things like 1 John 4.10. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I read things like Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I read things like Matthew 7, 11, if you then who are evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give gifts to to those who ask him. I read things like Psalm 34:10. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So what happens when I lean into the spirit, lean into the word of God? Now I need to pray and ask for me, ask for God to help me believe on those things, right? Again, I don't want it just to be some intellectual thing where I say yeah, that's good, or yay, scripture, right? But it's, it's more like, Lord, let me believe that in my life and walk in it in faithfulness. You know, when that happens, when that happens, the roots of covetousness in my life, it dries up, it dries up. My roots grow deeper into the word of God. That's, that's rooted living. This is rooted living. This is living by the Spirit of God. This is saying, I can't live the life that God wants for me apart from the gospel, apart from the Spirit of God, and apart from the Word of God in my life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I just thank you so much for your words, your words that you've given to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, God. So great that we have your words available to us. We live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And God, I pray that you would help us in those moments where we're struggling with the dissonance of trying to obey you and think it through our own works. Help us to be more reliant on your presence, on your spirit, on the, your word in our life, that we could lean into you, Father. Help us to turn to your truth and rely on your spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen.